And for the rest of you, I want to say uh, it's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be here. And um, although, as uh, one uh, child pointed out to me today, I might look very tired, but I am actually very refreshed this morning. Uh, as we have just gotten back from our elders retreat this weekend, we had a great time. Uh, myself, uh, Robert, Aaron, and our wives, as we uh, got a chance to get away and to um, kind of look back over the previous year at what God has done in the life of the church and, and look forward to the, to the year ahead and, and look forward to what Christ has in store for us. And we're always so amazed as we consider that uh, uh, we are looking down the barrel of six years as a church, and uh, that's six years of God's faithfulness. And uh, when we think about uh, ourselves and kind of our abilities and, uh, and those kinds of things, we are very quickly realizing that uh, it's only by the grace of God and his kindness toward us as a, as a church that we are here six years later. And so we, we praise him for that. And, uh, and I'm thankful for the chance to get, to, uh, to get away and enjoy time with, with our fellow elders and our wives and, uh, and relax for a little bit. Uh, our passage for today is Hebrews chapter 5. We'll be in verses 11 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Uh, as you can see from my title, my title today is A Warning to the Dull. A Warning to the Dull. And I'll start it at first for any of you who do not think of yourselves as very charismatic or entertaining. Uh, I am not talking about those who are maybe boring. Boring is not the idea behind this word dull. If you consider yourself to be boring, first of all, you're probably not that boring, but uh, second of all, don't worry, this is not necessarily singling you out for your uh, boring demeanor, but rather speaking to those who are, with regards to spiritual things, with regards to Christ, sluggish, slow, lazy, apathetic, dull in that sense. Over the past couple weeks, we've been hearing uh, through the Holy Spirit in our text in Hebrews of the priesthood of Christ and his uh, his priesthood and how it is a good priesthood. That is one after the order of Melchizedek, how his priesthood is better than Aaron's priesthood. And we've kind of begun to dip our toes into what is actually an expansive teaching in the book of Hebrews on the priesthood of Christ and one that is very deep. And as I said last week, we will be continuing looking at this doctrine over the uh, upcoming weeks and chapters. But this week, the the Holy Spirit, as he inspired the author of Hebrews, takes a detour for a few paragraphs. He takes a detour to offer a, a warning, an exhortation regarding apostasy, an exhortation regarding turning aside and the danger and the problem of those who have heard the good news of the gospel and in the end rejected it, who have turned aside from it, who have not been rooted firm in good doctrine, not been rooted firm in the gospel, but after having heard it, have rejected it and turned aside. These are important passages that we will be covering over the next couple weeks and uh, passages that are not necessarily easy for us to digest and to perfectly understand at first glance. But my hope and prayer is that as we study, as we read, as we preach over these next few weeks, that passages that are frankly, difficult many times for, for us to understand will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be made clear that we might see them truly and rightly as they were intended. So that's what we begin to look at today as we read Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. As we begin, the Word of God says, About this we have much to say, 
And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before your word today, we ask for your help. We ask that we would see the word of God truly, that we would see it clearly, and that we would understand it rightly. All of this in spite of it being delivered by one who is sinful and being heard by those who are sinful. Lord, today we come relying on the work of the Spirit to open our eyes and open our ears to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage today is one that has been taught widely with regards to spiritual maturity. Many have understood and applied this text to call Christians to maturity, to say, hey, immature Christian, become mature. And in doing so, oftentimes, the spiritual milk described in these verses is contrasted with the meat described in these verses, as though one is good and the other is bad. And I would argue and propose to you today that this is not necessarily the most perfect interpretation of this text. While I think immaturity is in view here, and I think immaturity uh, to the extreme and, uh, and to the, the certain degree that is described here is in view, and yet... I do not think that the goal of the text here should lead us to conclude that those taking in spiritual milk are doing something wrong and those taking in spiritual meat, solid food, are doing something right. I think that would be a, a mistake to take that, this text and simplify it down just to that because really what is in view here in this text as we begin this, this excerpt, this section that the author of Hebrews is writing on apostasy, on the danger of those who ultimately reject the gospel, what he has in view here is one of these. We, we need to read this in context. And as we have studied, as we have looked at this book over the past few weeks, you'll know that uh, even by the title, this is a book largely written to Jewish hearers. That was the original intended audience of the book. It does not mean it doesn't have application for us today, that it is useless to us today, but uh, that was the original audience that this was intended to. And the purpose that the Holy Spirit is writing is to call these Jews who have heard the gospel, many who have accepted the truths revealed in the gospel, revealed to them by the apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they accept them to be true, and yet They're having a hard time completely grasping them, a hard time letting go of the former things, the shadows, the the shadows of which Christ is the substance. They are having a difficult time, many of them, letting go of those things and clinging to Christ as the true and better mediator of the true and better covenant. When we think about that as our context, I think that helps us to understand this text a little more clearly That when we begin to see the issue, we see that in verse 11 and 12, 
The actual issue being discussed here is identified, and it is identified as dullness of hearing. So point number one, identifying the issue. As the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, writes through the author of Hebrews, he says, for, he says, about this we have much to say. And, and if you remember from the previous weeks, the, this that he is talking about is the priesthood of Christ and specifically the Melchizedek form of Christ's priesthood, how he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And as we began last week, you begin to realize this is a rather deep doctrine. It is a rather difficult doctrine for us to understand. And that is the point that Hebrew, the author of Hebrews is writing here. He says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Here we have the issue identified. He goes on to say in verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. The issue outlined and defined here is that the hearers of this message that, that the Holy Spirit is writing have become dull of hearing. And because of their dullness of hearing, it is difficult for them to understand and grasp the heavy things of God, as the author says. This dullness of hearing might at first glance seem to us to be a, a minor thing, to be dull of hearing, to struggle to understand, we might think. Well, no one, when they first read about Melchizedek, completely gets it, do they? No, they don't. Absolutely, they don't. But the point that the author is writing to them here and saying is that by this time, you ought to have a firm grasp on the things ahead of this. In fact, you ought to be, have been taught so much by now and have been taught so much, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be pouring what you know into others. You ought to be discipling others, training them up. This is the issue that Pastor Vody Balcom describes when he describes a bricklayer who has been laying bricks for 20 years. And imagine a, a new, a younger bricklayer comes up and just getting into the trade and says, hey, I want to learn the trade of bricklaying. And I came to you because you must be an expert. You've been doing this for 20 years. You are a, an expert bricklayer. And imagine if that bricklayer were to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm no expert bricklayer. I'm no master bricklayer. Well, either he's lying and, and being falsely humble or else he would say, well, then what have you been doing this whole time? Something has gone wrong if you've been laying bricks for 20 years and yet have nothing to teach to this young man who has come along to learn the art of bricklaying. That is the problem that we see described here of spiritual dullness, that you have been hearing the things of God. You have been taught the scriptures. You have been exposed to the gospel, the goodness, the milk of the gospel, and yet it seems to have had no effect and you are immature still. You still need to hear the basic things after so much time. To help us understand the danger of dullness of hearing, I would encourage you to look at Matthew chapter 13. You can turn with me there if you'd like to Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, we have one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever told, the parable of the sower and the seed. And if you're familiar with the parable, you'll know that the sower throws seeds out into the field and, 
And the seed lands in different places. It lands, some of it on the hard, trodden down path and, and uh, ultimately is eaten by the birds. Some lands in rocky soil. And though it sprouts up, it ultimately withers and dies because it has no root. Some of it lands in the thorns. And though it grows at first, it is ultimately choked out by the thorns, by the cares and the concerns of the world around them. And then some of it lands in good soil and takes root, not only takes root, but blooms and blossoms, not only that, but ultimately bears fruit. And Jesus tells this parable, and, and it's difficult to understand. And the disciples ask Jesus, why do you speak in such ways? Why do you speak to the people and to us in parables like this? And what does Jesus answer? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 13 and following, he says this, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. We see the problem exposed by Jesus here and why he speaks in this way. He says it's because there are some who see and yet don't see. There are some who hear and yet don't hear. He goes on to say, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We begin to see from this passage where Jesus speaks to his disciples the true threat, the, the true danger of becoming dull of hearing. For indeed, the risk is that we will, as he says, not be healed. He says, for the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they barely hear. Lest they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. We see then that the danger of dullness of heart is the danger of eternal damnation. The danger of remaining in our sin Dullness of heart, as it is described here, is a product of, is a, is a uh, symptom of those who have never truly understood the gospel. There is a difference being described in Hebrews and in the book of Matthew and throughout the New Testament. A difference between that of hearing and actually hearing. Or we might maybe more un understandably See that there is a difference between hearing and listening. You see, everyone hears. There's not a single person in this room that isn't hearing what I'm saying. We all, all of those who, who have their sense of hearing still intact, can hear. And yet we can understand that there is a difference between hearing something and actually listening to something. One of these activities is passive, hearing something, one of these activities is active, actually listening to something, putting in effort to hear it and to understand it and to process it. And I would argue 
probably every husband and wife here in this place today can understand the difference between hearing and listening. Am I right? I know every parent can understand the difference between hearing and listening. I recount the times I have spoken to my son Elijah and, and told him something. And he'll maybe nod, he'll maybe say okay, and his eyes are doing this, you know? And then I say, Elijah, look at my eyes, look at my eyes. And he looks at my eyes, and then I get the feeling he's distracted by my eyes as I'm talking to him. And just not, not at all listening to what I'm saying. He's hearing what I'm saying. He knows when to respond, he knows I'm talking to him, and yet he's not putting in the effort to actually listen, to actually process what I'm saying, to actually apply the words that he's hearing and understand them. This is the demonstration that we are given. This is what it means to be dull of hearing. Another example, and I think perhaps a, uh, a more serious example that we can understand. At the house that I grew up in when I was young, I, I lived right across from a train yard. And if you've ever lived near a train yard or worked at a train yard, you'll know that it is a very, very noisy place to be. Trains constantly crashing into one another, taking off, their wheels spinning, horns blowing. It is just constant noise and not just during the day but all hours of the night and I can remember I would have friends over to spend the night and and they would say the next morning I couldn't hardly sleep at all because of those trains they were so loud the banging together shook the upstairs of the house and, and they would say how do you sleep through all of that what's the response I don't even notice it I don't even, I mean, now that you're saying it, yeah, I, I guess I hear those things, but I don't even notice it. It doesn't even compute. It has no effect on me because I have grown dull to those things. And while for those of us who live near a train yard or an interstate, that is a good thing, when it comes to the word of God and the way we approach the gospel and the truths revealed in scripture, this is a very, very dangerous place to be. And it is a place in which the parable in Matthew describes this is the issue at hand here the issue of dullness of heart we see the the outcropping of that the symptom of that kind of what you see as a product of dullness of hearing in the the next section when he talks about milk and meat but really dullness of hearing is the problem and it is a problem that is extremely extremely dangerous it is a problem that if christians find themselves in we need to be weary of it is a situation that if we find ourselves in, we ought to do what Paul calls us to do in 2 Corinthians, and that is examine ourselves to be, see that we be in the faith. Point number two, the danger of extended adolescence. We see now the, the problem has been identified. Dullness of hearing is the problem. But then in the second half of verse 12, moving into 13, the Holy Spirit moves on to describe what results from dullness of hearing the symptoms of it we see in the second half of 12 going to 13 he says you need milk not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child i think i might have said paul just one second ago i don't know that paul wrote the book of hebrews let me be clear the author of hebrews though writes for us this and begins to describe what results when we are dull of hearing. This is the problem that the, that the author of Hebrew identifies. He says, 
It is a problem that I have seen that though there are great things that I would like to teach you, there are difficult and deep and profound and good things, meat of the gospel, the meat of the word that I desire to teach you, but the problem is you are not ready. You should have been ready long ago, and yet even still you are not ready but need milk. And he identifies this as a problem. It's the problem of having an aged baby, a grown man, yet one who lives like an infant. There was a trend a few years back that I heard about, maybe it's still a thing, where grown adults would do this thing where they, they would celebrate their birthday and they would do so with a smash cake. Does anyone know what a smash cake is? A smash cake is what you give a one-year-old at their first birthday and you watch as they dig into it and get it all over their face and their hair and they throw it all over the place, make a big mess. And it's a lot of fun, right? We've done it with both of our boys when they turned one and we'll do it with our daughter. It's fun, it's cute, it's great. And it's sweet. When you see that, when you see pictures of that, you think, oh, that's so, so, cute. so cute, that's so sweet. The problem is though, when adults begin to do this, as was the trend at least for a while, you get these pictures that come out that are intended to be funny, intended to be cute in some way, where you have grown adults, sometimes even dressed as babies, sitting on the floor with a cake and having it all over themselves, all over the place, laughing, just a big mess. And I, for one, when I have seen those pictures, have not thought, oh, that's so cute, that's so sweet. Look at that 40-year-old man with the shirt off and cake all over his belly. <laughs> it's disgusting, right? I hope you guys are with me. I think that is gross. And when we see that, that gives us a picture of what the author of Hebrews is addressing. This extended infancy where though they are, ought to have been grown, they have been a part of the faith long enough, they have been introduced to these things and being taught these things for so long, and yet they are still smashing cakes like infants, still trying to live off of milk. This is what the author sees and what causes him such concern, not just because he thinks milk is bad, that's not the problem but because he sees this as a symptom of dull hearing. Because let's consider for a minute what it is that the author is saying here concerning spiritual milk. The Holy Spirit is identifying a problem, but the problem that he's identifying is not with the milk. He's not saying that milk is bad, stop with the milk, and take meat. That's not the point. Milk, spiritual milk, is good. It is useful. In fact, the milk is the very thing that will prepare us for the meat. There are, there are two other places in Scripture where the Holy Spirit writes regarding milk and meat. One of them is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, and here's what he says. He says, like newborn infants, Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Milk is good. Spiritual milk, the milk of the gospel, of the word of God, the basic things of scripture and of Christ are good for us. In fact, 
They lead us to grow into salvation. What is the milk, you might ask? It is the basic principles of the gospel. Let me give you some samples of what milk is. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Romans 5, 8, spiritual milk. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. That is spiritual milk. And that's delicious. And it's good. And it grows us. And it nurtures us in Christ. And these are the kind of things that when someone first comes to faith, when they are first being introduced to the gospel, to the things of God, this is what you give them. You say, read this, look at this. Even though we're wicked, God loves us. Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our sin, to save us. This is good for us. This is sweet, nutritious, spiritual milk. And it is needed for anyone who is to be saved. And we see that as, that as John Piper points out, the question then is not, what's wrong with the milk the question is, what are you doing with the milk? You see, we can be giving milk to infants all day long, but if those infants are taking the milk and pouring it on their chest and dumping it into the trash can and splashing it all around, taking baths in milk, what good does that milk do them? It does them none. They will never grow. Not only will they never grow, they ultimately will die. The same is true of spiritual milk. These things of God, the spiritual milk of the gospel, the basic realities of scripture, the things that we push young new believers to that are good for them, are good for them. The argument that is being made here in Hebrews is not milk is bad, solid food is good. The problem is seeing this extended infancy. And this then is where we begin to see the correlation between dullness of hearing and the ineffectiveness of spiritual milk. Dullness of hearing and the ineffectiveness of spiritual milk. If the basic gospel truths seen in this passage, and the passages that we just mentioned, all of these passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Ephesians 2, Romans 5, 8, John 3, 16, these things are true and good and ought to be heard and listened to. The problem is that this milk, this spiritual milk, has never actually made its way into the digestive system of these believers. That the realities seen, the truths revealed here, are not actually being digested or not actually being taken in and having their intended effect. The problem is not with the milk. The problem is that the milk is not finding its way in. And that is because they are dull of hearing.
This is the danger of dullness of hearing. That the truth that God has revealed to us does not make its way to where it needs to go. And that is a danger for believers and unbelievers alike. For even believers, though, though we are secure in Christ Jesus, though we know that no one can pluck us out of the hand of God, we also know the danger of becoming numb to the things of God. We also know that that can happen to us. We can begin to hear Scripture and say, yeah, 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 I already know that. All right, move on. I already know that. I don't need to think about that too much more. I want something else. There is a danger even for believers in doing that when we begin to grow dull to the things of God. It is a symptom of something far more dangerous. Point number three then, as we begin to think about what is solid food and what good does it do for us? Because as I've said, it is not the case that spiritual milk is bad and solid food is good. Both are good and both are needed and both are useful, but one is intended to lead us and grow us into the other. So here we have application for believers. The more we take in the spiritual milk of the word and digest it and meditate on it and study it, the more prepared we will be for the meat of the gospel. Not only will spiritual milk prepare us for the meat, it will begin to give us a desire for the meat. It will begin to grow us in the ability to digest, grow us in the ability to, to uh, work our jaws and our muscles, to begin to eat the spiritual meat of the gospel. It's like the first time you give baby food to a baby, the first time they get solid food. It's not very long before that's what they want. Give me more of that, that thing that really fills my belly, that thing that I can work on with my mouth. I remember with our, our youngest, Nathan, man, when he got a taste of solid food, there was no stopping that child. We couldn't wait until he could feed himself with his own hands because until then, we never got to eat a meal together. It was a constant shoveling into his mouth because he couldn't get enough of the solid food. Could not get enough. He loved it. The, the, the taste, the feel, the sensation is just something deeper and greater than the milk. It's like moving from milk, baby food, onto steak. There is steak to be had in God's word. There is good, delicious meat for us to sink our teeth into. And the thing is, for those of us in here who have tasted steak, we want more steak, do we not? We desire more of the steak. No one eats a steak and says, yeah, that was good. I don't think I'll eat it again. A woman I've ever met, not if they're being honest. The more we enjoy good food like steak, like seafood, the more we desire it. The more our palate begins to grow accustomed to those good things. There's a little bit of a danger in eating steak too often and eating seafood too often. We begin to come to a point where that's all we want. This is the way it ought to be with the word of God. Because no one has ever had their fill of God's word. No one has ever taken in, heard the word of God, digested it, soaked it in, meditated on it, and then said, I don't need any more. I'm done. In fact, the opposite is true. No one has ever gotten enough of it. No one has ever been done with the word of God and said, I never want any more. I've had my fill. 
No true believer has ever come to that conclusion. The more we take in the word of God, the more we eat and digest and meditate on his word, even the deep and tasty and rich things, the more of it we want. And yet, there is nothing more satisfying to our souls. It's a weird thing where the more we take in of the word of God, the more we let it have its effect, the the more satisfied we are. And the more satisfied we are, the more of God's word we want. This is the way things ought to be for the Christian. This is the way the Holy Spirit has designed it to work. It's like forever having an itch that you can always find relief to. And it feels amazing. And yet you never don't want it. You always want the ability to scratch that itch and you are always given the ability to scratch that itch. These are the things of God. This is what solid food leads to. It leads to this kind of spiritual depth. But it also, our final point, leads to spiritual maturity resulting from spiritual death. Spiritual depth results in spiritual maturity. Verse 14 of our passage says this, but solid food is, not, is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In, a dip, in addition to spiritual depth, another benefit that we reap from the solid food, the stake of the gospel, is spiritual maturity, discernment, the ability to discern between good and evil. And this is such a great need for believers. The most mature believer you know, I would argue, probably meets this definition, probably is, is, a, is gifted in discernment, right? It is a mark of maturity that someone can look into an issue and can quickly or at least clearly see what is right and what is wrong in that situation. This is spiritual maturity, the ability to discern good from evil. And this kind of maturity only happens through training, through intake and digestion of the word of God. And like the difference between hearing and listening, it takes effort. It takes work. This is why immature believers are not to be put into the office of pastor, as Paul reminds us in the book of Timothy. Because this is a part of the the calling of a pastor, to be able to discern right from wrong, to be able to counsel and distinguish good from evil, right from wrong. And this is why only mature believers are to be holding the office of pastor. Spiritual depth resulting from the goodness of spiritual meat results in spiritual maturity. As we conclude today, I just want to offer for us two points of application this morning. The first is, for those of you who are in this place today and you are Christians, be sure not to grow dull of hearing the word of God. Guard against it. Pray that the Holy Spirit would forever keep you in love with God's word, forever keep you in awe of the goodness of God and his grace and his mercy in the gospel. That he would remind you of the holiness of God and then the greatness of the gospel that says, though he is holy and we are wicked, in Christ we are righteous. Pray that the Holy Spirit would cause you never to grow tired of these truths. Pray that the Holy Spirit would cause you to desire to go deeper, would cause you to desire the deep spiritual meat of God's word. And if you are here in this place today and you say, I have grown dull, 
The word of God does not have its effect on me, and I know that. I would encourage you, confess that to the Lord. Pray and ask that he would soften your heart, open your eyes and open your ears to hear and believe the good news of the gospel, to let it have its intended effect. And then finally, the last thing I would want to say is that if you're here in this place today, if you're a young believer, if you're immature, if milk is what you need, do not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of needing the spiritual milk, but take it in, absorb it, absorb it. Reap the benefits of the nutrition that is in it and grow from it. Never be ashamed of needing spiritual milk and yet never be satisfied staying only on spiritual milk. Desire the deeper things. Work towards the deeper things of Scripture. Do not be afraid of those things. Do not, do not deny those things, but let the spiritual milk of the gospel have its intended effect so that you might grow into spiritual maturity. When we, when we read these verses that I mentioned earlier, John 3.16, Romans 5.8, Ephesians 2.4-5, if you do begin to read these, what I would consider spiritual milk, meditate on these things. You will see very quickly that meditating on these passages alone is a lot like exploring a cave. You enter into a cave and maybe at first glance it just looks like, okay, this is the end of the cave. But as you begin to explore, you find, oh, here's another passage that goes way down this way. Oh, here's another passage over here that goes way down this way and up and around. Oh, here's a passage over here that has cool stalactites and stalagmites in it. The more you meditate on even the spiritual milk of Scripture, the more you will be drawn deeper, deeper, and deeper into the things of God. And that is its intended effect. If you are a new believer in here today, if you are immature, if you are right now needing spiritual milk, Feast on spiritual milk. Enjoy the spiritual milk. Let it have its intended effect. Do not be ashamed, but do not be satisfied to stay there either. Let's pray.